You are listening to an audio resource produced by Faith Presbyterian Church in Anchorage, Alaska. If you would like to learn more about the life and ministry of Faith Presbyterian, you can do so by visiting us online at faithanchorage.org. Again, thank you for being here this morning. We're looking at Luke's Gospel, and this morning we're going to look beginning at Luke chapter 4, verse 42, and we're going to continue on uh, through 5.11. So that's where we are this morning, Luke, 40, or Luke 4, 42 through 5.11. Can I talk to you little theologians real quickly? Uh, I want a picture of a pulpit, not because uh, I want a new pulpit, but I want you to draw a specific kind of pulpit. I want you to draw a pulpit that looks a lot like a boat. Uh, by the way, uh, you little theologians, does anyone want to come and be with me while I preach the sermon? Who would want to do that? No one's raising their hand. Maybe you're just, you're just afraid, you're Presbyterians, you're afraid to raise your hand during a worship service. Maybe that's it. <laughs> so, David's going to come be with me. Um, the passage that we're about to read is a passage where Jesus turns a boat into a pulpit, and he preaches from that boat. And there's someone who's trapped on that boat with Jesus, and his name's Peter. And I want you little theologians, actually I want everyone, but you little theologians in particular, I want you to listen to how Peter responds when he discovers that he is trapped in a pulpit in which the holy God himself is speaking. Okay, just think about that. Okay? We're going to read this passage together. I want you to, I want you to listen to Peter's response, because Peter's response is very, very strange, unless you know he's just discovered he's trapped at a, in a pulpit with his Lord and Savior. Our passage, again, is Luke 4, beginning at verse 42. Let's pray to God that he would guide us in the reading and the hearing and the preaching of his word. Our Father, we ask, first of all, that you would be with us as we read your scripture, that we'd not take it lightly, that we'd not read it as any other book, but read it as a living book. Read it as your power for salvation and the message contained therein. So be with us in the reading of your word. Would you be with us in the hearing of your word, even as I am hearing this word proclaimed? We pray, Father, that you would apply the words that are heard about this text and use them to serve the text. And then would you be with the preaching of this word? Would you be with me? Would you cause me to highlight your glory and denigrate my own glory. Thank you, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 4, uh, beginning at uh, verse uh, 42. Please listen carefully to God's word. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. 
Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land... They left everything and followed him. This is the word of our Lord. You know, so far as Luke is writing his gospel, he's given us two vignettes, uh, stories, so that Theophilus would actually grow stronger in his faith. Remember, Theophilus is the, is the man that Luke is addressing this to. And so Luke is giving now his, his third uh, uh, story from the public ministry of Jesus. The first one was a sermon, you'll recall, at Nazareth. And in that sermon, Luke shares with Theophilus the actual text that, uh, that Jesus preached from. It was Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And this is in Nazareth, and so Jesus preaches out of Isaiah 61. And the people are amazed at Jesus' teaching. And then Jesus gives to them an example of how that glorious message of Isaiah uh, 61, 1 and 2 is actually uh, received better by those who are outside of the family of Israel than those who are inside the family of Israel. The people are greatly offended at this. They actually prove what Jesus just illustrated to them, that it's the people with Within the family of Israel that become most grossly offended at the message of the gospel. And they actually attempt to murder Jesus. So that's the, that's the first story that Luke shares with Theophilus, that Theophilus would actually grow as a Christian, that a certainty, his assurance would be made stronger. The second story that Luke tells Theophilus towards this purpose uh, happens in Nazareth. Uh, I'm sorry, Nazareth, Capernaum, some 20 miles away from Nazareth, uh, uh, down the hill, as it were, by the Sea of Galilee. And when Luke tells that, gives that example, he actually doesn't give the sermon text in which Jesus is preaching from, but it is a synagogue sermon. And the people are amazed at not just the teaching of Jesus, but at the authority of Jesus. And they're amazed at the authority of Jesus, and Jesus then displays that authority by casting out an evil spirit from one of the men who is there in the synagogue that morning. And so no sermon text, but there is this, uh, this wonderful physical testimony of the message of the gospel, the authority of Jesus to deliver us from all evil, from all wickedness. And this morning, this here then becomes the third. And the third is quite different. We still have a preaching Jesus, the word, word, 
Do you get that? The word word shows up frequently in this text as it did when in the ministry at Nazareth and Capernaum. So it's a word ministry. Jesus is preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Luke tells Theophilus that, but then he gives, gives Theophilus this picture of what happened on the boat. And what happened on the boat is a physical manifestation of that preached word. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at that preached word in Luke uh, 4.42. And the content of that word, instead of being simply preached by the lips of Jesus, is actually displayed on the boat of Simon Peter. The message, the purpose of Jesus is displayed on the boat. In that regard, Nazareth, Capernaum, and this, this time on the boat, they're all similar in that Jesus offers a word and then he testifies to that word. He makes that word doubly known. He preaches a word. He displays that word. And I think what's happening in this particular passage, this passage about Jesus preaching a sermon from a boat, is that Jesus is actually proclaiming a message in which the good news of the kingdom is shown to be the message that saves mankind. The good news of the kingdom is the message in which mankind is caught by God in. The good news of the kingdom, the purpose of Jesus, is the message by which mankind is caught by God. We see at the very beginning of the passage that Jesus is having to deal with the crowds, as it were. 4.42 says that the crowds are seeking him and that the crowds are keeping him. Uh, they're actually restraining, they're holding Jesus. It's a, it's a rather forceful word. And skip down to 5.1 and we read that the crowds are actually pressing in on him. Just think about those images. Just think about that. They're searching for him. They come to him. They are keeping him. They are pressing in on him. It's a, it's a word in 5.1 that refers to an imposition upon someone else, pressing in on someone. And it's hard to read if this is understood by Luke as a positive thing or a negative thing. And the one thing we would say, well, it's positive. The people want Jesus. They want to hear his words. They want to be near him. They want to be healed by Him. But it's negative in the sense that we know that there are times when we don't want Jesus, we just want what Jesus offers. And we know that even in our, in our own evangelistic ministry with our neighbors, we, we can talk about Jesus, we can display Jesus in our homes, but we know that our neighbors sometimes think, I, I like the stuff that they have, but I don't want this Jesus. I want some of the benefits of being a Christian. I want a, a happy family like theirs, a happy marriage like theirs but I don't want to submit to this Jesus. But the people are keeping him. They're holding him. And what Jesus says to them is he says that I have to leave. I have to leave. It's almost as if Jesus doesn't wait to discern whether they're wanting to hold him rightly or to hold him wrongly. Jesus says, look, I have to leave. Now, later in Jesus' ministry, Luke 9, Luke 13, Jesus is going to say, I have to leave because I have to die in Jerusalem. In Luke 9, we read that Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem like chisel, like a rock. And in Luke 13, we read that Jesus says it is not appropriate for, my, for a prophet to die outside of Jerusalem. I have to get to Jerusalem that I might die. I have to leave you. And he says this to the disciples, I have to leave you. And what he means by that is he has to die on the cross. He has to die on the cross. 
But we get a foretaste of that when he says, I, I must leave, I must go. And Luke tells Theophilus and tells us the purpose by which Jesus has to leave. He says, my purpose is to go to other towns and to preach. You know, we don't often think of Jesus being pushed around, being told what to do. And when we see Jesus being told what to do, we get a little glimmer of that in Peter's words to Jesus in this very passage. But we think no one should ever tell Jesus what to do. He's Jesus. But God tells Jesus what to do. That Jesus is serving a purpose for God. That Jesus is following the will of God, the plan of God, to do what God desires. And what we see in Jesus is we see Jesus using His life as a means to show God's love. God sends His Son, and Jesus knows that. Jesus says, I have to leave. I have to leave. Not because I have some great corporate vision. He says, I have to leave because the Father has a vision. The Father has a mission. I have to leave you. This is God's love. Listen to John 5, 19 and 20. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord but only what He sees His Father doing. This is the Father's plan to rescue His people. This is a plan that goes back to Genesis 3.15. God promising to redeem His people under the headship of a man. John 5.19 goes on, For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. Jesus knows what His heavenly Father is doing. And God shows Him that, that Jesus might then do that. And we come to 5.1 and we read, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Him to hear the Word of God, He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's Galilee. And He saw two boats by the lake. One, the boat of Peter's family, Peter, son of Jonas, and then one, the boat of James and John's family, James and John of Zebedee. But the fishermen had actually gone out of the boat, so the boats are not occupied right now. The fishermen are actually washing their nets. We get, uh, we get a couple of other scenes in the New Testament of men uh, washing their nets on the shore. But they're washing their nets because they have already fished. They have completed their night of fishing and Peter's going to tell us later that it was not a good night of fishing. And Jesus, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, asked him to put him out a little from the land. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Capernaum is on the Sea of Galilee, which is actually below sea level. And the sea, uh, Capernaum as a city is very, very flat. And Jesus is, is scanning the horizon, looking for a place in which he can be elevated that he might be able to preach to the people. And he sees the boat. It, you can't do this in a canoe. You know what I'm saying? You can't, do this in a, you can't do this in a rowboat. It's a significant boat. We sometimes think of Peter and James and John of being these pathetic poor fishermen. More likely than this, they were actually multi-generational fishermen and they were very successful. They have large boats, large enough that they would draw the attention of Jesus, that Jesus would get in the boat and know that He could be elevated above the people. In fact, He even sits as He teaches. He sits as He teaches. He is elevated high enough he can actually sit and still have a commanding view, and they can have a commanding view of him. It's a large boat. The size of the boat matters later on in the story. 
And so Jesus shows forth that purpose of 442. He's preaching a message, the good news of the kingdom of God. But we need to stop here because we have seen the word good news several times in this passage. Uh, When the angel comes to Zechariah and tells him uh, that Zechariah and Elizabeth are going to have a baby, John the Baptist, the angel proclaims what to Zechariah? Good news to Zechariah. And when the angels come to the shepherds, what do the angels proclaim to the shepherds? They they proclaim uh, good news. The peace of God has come. Uh, John the Baptist in his preaching ministry is a ministry of preaching the good news. Jesus quotes a passage from Isaiah 61, already that sermon at Nazareth, in which the people are expecting the good news that is given to Isaiah the prophet to proclaim. And now Jesus is preaching good news. Do do you see that this is not simply Jesus' plan to help these poor, pathetic people? This is a cosmic, divinely ordained plan, a plan orchestrated by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before all ages that what would come to pass is the great rescuing of God's own people. And so Jesus preaches the good news, the offer of the gospel, that in Him life comes to you. But this phrase, kingdom of God, we've not seen this before in Luke's gospel. And we're going to see it well over 30 more times in Luke's gospel. So let's go ahead and take a stab at trying to ascertain what's meant by the kingdom of God. You know, the best way to understand this phrase is simply this. It's the, it's the rule of God manifested. It's the rule of God manifested. It's God making himself known. Uh, G.E. Ladd, a great theologian, says, look, the rule of God is a strange phrase. There's a couple of ways you can see it. One way is that it's something that happens in the present. The kingdom of God, the rule of God is being manifested in the present before Jesus' hearers. But at the same time, there's a future aspect of this kingdom as well. In the new heavens and the new earth. In the second coming of our Lord and Savior, which is real and physical, there is going to be a clearer picture of the kingdom of God. And so so G.E. Ladd says, the kingdom of God is the presence of the future. You should remember that phrase. It's the presence presence of God of the future. It's, It's the presence here with us of a reality that we're going to witness more fully in the future. The presence of the future. You know, it's not the same thing as the church. The kingdom of God and the church aren't the same thing. The church is smaller than the kingdom of God. The church is an earthly, time-bound manifestation of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God you are tasting right now as the gospel is proclaimed to you from God's word. You are participating in the rule of God. You must respond to this gospel. If you refuse to respond to the gospel, you will suffer eternal damnation. If you come to the gospel in faith through Jesus Christ, you will experience eternal salvation. The the kingdom is here right now in the present. It's being exercised now. But there's also a future reality of it. You may say no to the gospel right now, no to the kingdom of God, no to this preaching ministry, no to the offer to come to God in faith through Jesus Christ, but there will come a time when that gospel hits you harder. It hits you harder, and you will be forced then to make a firm decision, and that decision will actually be informed to you. You who refused in the present to hear the gospel and believe will hear the gospel again. 
and you'll hear that gospel judge you and damn you for all eternity. And by the way, Matthew 13 has another story about a net. And in that net, uh, Matthew uh, says, or Jesus says through uh, Matthew, he says that there is a net that, is come, that will come in the second coming. And that is God reaching down and scooping up fish from every kind and God himself dividing the evil and the righteous the evil and the righteous. And those of you who are here this morning uh, professing faith in Jesus, uh, you are the ones that will be safe in that net. So the kingdom comes in the present, but the kingdom will come in the future. And when the kingdom comes in the future, you will understand very clearly that God rescues His people through one means and one means alone, through His Son, Jesus Christ. And we enter into this fishing tale. Do you think it's a fishing tale? It's just a story about that one day we caught a lot of fish. A lot of fishermen in the room right now. It's not a fishing tale. It's a miracle. The scene that we've read about the great fish is actually, it's a miracle. And it's a miracle in which Jesus displays the spiritual reality of the gospel going forth. The kingdom of God breaking into the world. And people coming to God in faith in Christ Jesus and being saved. That is actually what is signified in what happens on the boat. Verse 4 says, When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Isn't that funny that Jesus is really still preaching? We're not, we're, not said that, we're not told that Jesus said amen and then he started something else. It's almost like this is a very, a very much a part of the sermon itself. Jesus is preaching the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God. And then he turns to Peter and he tells Peter to do something. And it's almost as if this is a continuation of the sermon. We know that this is daylight. We know that Jesus is seen very, very clearly. And Jesus says, push out to the deep. And you know that everyone on the shore is watching what's about to happen. It's public. And Simon says, Master, I'm not sure we should read in Master that that's a word of belief in Jesus. Uh, It's certainly a word of respect. Teacher, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. It's very discouraging, isn't it, to have someone who knows nothing about what you do jump in the middle of your work and tell you how to do it. I don't know that anyone likes that. No one says, well, this here is a teachable opportunity. I can teach someone. I don't think we're even that gracious. At least I'm not. I know what I'm doing here. I'm just, I'm just befuddled that you would be here asserting such authority when this is my gig. This is what I do. And Peter is offended at Jesus. He's, and he tells Jesus, we toiled all night and we took nothing. We did what wise fishermen do. We fish at night. We did what experienced fishermen, multi-generational fishermen do. We toiled, and we got nothing. But then Peter says this. He says, but at your word, I will let down the nets. I'm doing this for you, Jesus. You know, when I was studying this passage, I I just kept thinking that I'm sure that this is how some people are here this morning, right? We come, and it's like, I hear what Jesus is saying, and I kind of get it. But I'm just, I'm just here to, to hear more, right? I'm physically present to hear more. I'm not quite ready to believe this. I have some unanswered questions. Because you said this, Jesus, I'm going to do it. But you, you ought to be able to sense the uncertainty in Peter's words. And I know that there are people like that here this morning. I'm, I'm hanging with you church people. 
I, I think I kind of get a lot of the gospel stuff, and, and I think I may even believe. But there's still some unanswered questions, and I could use a little bit more evidence, but I'll be here next Sunday, and probably the Sunday after that. Peter says, at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, the nets actually don't break. The nets actually fill up with fish, so much so that they need help from another boat. And the remarkable thing is that these nets that have been very well tended, these nets are worth a lot of money, by the way, handed down generation after generation, and the nets don't break. But that only is the source of the problem. If the nets would break, everything would be okay, wouldn't it? If the nets would just break, but they don't break, and the fish are pulled into not one boat, but two boats, boats that have been engineered for generations to go out onto that sea and to not capsize and to not be overfilled with fish. They were designed to handle the maximum amount of fish that they could without sinking. They're designed for that. They're not designed for this. And the fish are loaded into the boats, and the disciples, the fishermen, can actually see the, the, the is it pronounced gunwale or gunnel? It's just gunnel, isn't it? They can see the gunnels get closer and closer to the surface of the water. And all of a sudden, having pushed out to deeper water, things are dangerous. And this is true fear. This is true fear. Jesus is going to tell them not to be afraid. I want you to just imagine what this would be like. Do you know what a fish equals to a fisherman? What is a fish? A fish is money. A fish is money. That's what a fish is. A fish is your ability to care for your wife and for your kids and for your parents. That's what a fish is. Imagine being suffocated by money. Isn't that a funny metaphor? Imagine being killed by the thing that you want. Imagine having all of these fish and thinking, that's a lot of money and we're probably going to die. It's just a strange picture, and I want us to draw out that picture that this is a remarkable thing to behold. It's more than they have ever imagined. It's more than anyone has probably ever caught on that particular lake, and it's about to kill them. This is what happens. Peter sees it. 5.8. What's it, by the way? Luke 5.8. When Simon Peter saw it, there are way too many journal articles on what the it in this passage means. I love you all. I love being the pastor of this church. I love preparing uh, judiciously for sermons, but I did not read all those articles. What is the it? Here's what I think the it is. He sees all the fish. He sees all the fish. And he understands that there is a preponderance of God's grace before him. That he deserves none of this catch. And he's overcome by the grace of God. And he falls down at the knees of Jesus and he says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter knows that this is a miracle. I know we look at the scene and we go, That's just, he's, he's responding over the top. That's unnecessary. But he understands what's happened. And there's no proof that he's quoting Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6 was a remarkably familiar passage, even to Hebrew children. But in Isaiah 6, at the call of Isaiah in his prophetic ministry, he too is overcome with the grace of God. His presence is right before me. He's here with me. His robe fills up the room. Jesus is here. 
And I want you to imagine that feeling that Peter has, knowing that he is on a boat trapped with the most holy, cosmically so figure in all eternity. He's trapped on a boat with him. And he says exactly what we should say. Depart from me. I'm not worthy to have you with me. Someone's got to leave this boat. I can't leave this boat. Depart from me. I'm too close. You're too close to me. I'm too sinful. You're too sinless. And before me is this wonderful bounty of your grace. Depart from me. He falls down at the knees of Jesus and he acknowledges that he is a sinful man. Peter is caught. Peter is caught. He understands through the gospel of grace who he is as a sinner. And I want you to understand who you are through the gospel of grace. You're a sinner. In the preaching ministry of God, the manifestation of God in the life of the church, in Holy Scripture, a worshiping body, in Christian neighbors that come to you and care for you, these are all proclamations of the gospel to such a degree that you should respond by acknowledging your sinfulness and your need for Jesus Christ to save you because you cannot do it. It's a foretaste of wonderful, wonderful grace that you can partake of if you believe in Christ Jesus and come into His church. And Peter sees his sin and he's caught. I want to, re- want to warn you again, there's going to be a time at the second coming where everyone's going to be caught. Everyone's going to be discovered. They're going to be found out. You, you may be doing a fantastic job of hiding your sin right now, but your days are numbered. Jesus will return. He'll discover you. He'll tell you who you are. You're someone who refuses to believe in the only begotten Son. Or He'll say to you, you are someone who does believe in the only begotten Son. You'll be found out. But look at what what Peter gets to hear from Jesus. Jesus says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Christian, this is a word for you. Don't be afraid. Acknowledge your sin. See your sin. Grow in your sorrow for your sin, your hatred for your sin. Walk in a manner that shows an attitude of repentance always, but do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. That's the delight of the Christian life. And Peter and James and John respond by leaving everything. The crowd has just heard the gospel of grace proclaimed. They have just witnessed a miracle. They have seen a worshiper fall on his knee, fall on his face before Jesus, and then the boats come to shore. And that man who fell before Jesus doesn't cash in the fish for money. He leaves everything and he follows Jesus. Would that have an impact on you? I hope that it would have an impact on you. If you're here this morning as a Christian, folks notice that kind of thing. You have an opportunity to preach to the world, to be a catcher of men and women by refusing to idolize your material possessions, by following Jesus with all of your heart and your soul and your mind. In Matthew 13, the kingdom of God is pictured as a kingdom that is working out really slowly, small little ways. Christian, you have an opportunity to be a catcher of men and women by walking in a way that glorifies your wonderful Savior, by proclaiming the message with your lips and with your lives, leaving everything, following Jesus. 
By doing so, you have an opportunity to catch others into the great kingdom of God as His rule is extended in the world. That's a reminder to us. You see, the good news of the kingdom is mankind being caught by God. But as a Christian, you can show that you have been caught by God over and over and over again with your lives. That others would look at you and see, I don't know what's different about that guy other than he has been caught by Jesus. Can you, can you communicate that to your neighbors and to your friends and to your family members? Can you season your conversations with the great grace and mercy that God has shown you? Can you be the first one in a crowd to apologize, to confess your sin? Because you know that you have a Savior who has died for you. And you can, you can confess your sin, not worry about your reputation. To the degree that you're able to do that, we can be the kind of people that are catchers of men. Fall before this Jesus, acknowledge your sin, and let him pick you back up that you might walk without fear. And then you can be a catcher of men. Let me pray for us and prepare us to come to this table. Father, thank you for this table, a broken body. Because his body was broken, because his blood was spilled out, we don't have to work our way to salvation. We don't have to stroke our public reputation in such a way that everyone will acclaim us. Father, we are to hold forth Jesus. And as we come to this table, we're doing that with our action. We are holding forth Jesus. He is the one who nourishes us. His body and his blood, they feed us. Thank you for this occasion. In his name, amen.